Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Keith Guernsey has beaten cancer twice, prostate cancer in 2018 and multiple myeloma in 2020. He works on cultivating and maintaining a positive mental attitude, and we are thrilled he is here to share his story today. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you, Andrew, for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here, and I appreciate you doing this. Well, I can't wait because you have two stories almost. Um, yeah. Take us back to the beginning with the first diagnosis and how that all came about. Well, I had gone to the urologist a couple times. First of all, just to backtrack a little bit, um, I sure. went to my regular yearly physical uh, and a couple years in a row, the doctor, uh, my PCP said, um, your prostate's a little enlarged, but nothing to worry about. Then finally, okay. he said, your prostate's enlarged enough so I want to refer you to a urologist, and he did. And I actually went a couple of times, and the results were inconclusive. Finally, the third time, um, he called me on the phone. Susan and I, my wife, were sitting down to lunch, and the phone rang, and I just had an ominous feeling to what was going to transpire, and it was him and he said the words, nobody wants to hear you have cancer. And th the look on my face uh, was so daunting that Susan was about ready to grab the phone from me. But I was able to compose myself and finish the conversation. And he said, you know, it's not um, spread beyond your prostate. You know, you have a number of options. And he went over the options. And I said, I want the surgery because I want this cancer out of me. You know, he's talking about um, radiation and just kind of watching it at my age to see if it would get any worse. And I said, no, no, I want the surgery. I want it out of me. Um, and I wait six months to the entire summer to have uh, my prostate whoa, whoa, cancer Why surgery. did you have to wait so long? The, I'm The stunned. robotic equipment over at the hospitals only available one day a week. And my doctor was had a lot of patients lined up it is fairly common um he, and he had some vacation time in there long story short we had the surgery it was very successful um susan and i went in to get the results and he came in smiling which he never does so i knew the results were good he said um your surgery was a complete success you are cancer free and I went, wow. I went dancing out of the, the hall and down, down the hall. Um, and if you've ever seen a clumsy old guy dance, you know, it's a sight to behold. Um, went home, started planning the last third of my life as someone who is cancer free. Um, and then in a follow up, uh, blood test revealed high levels of protein. And I was sent to a hematologist across the hall. 
this is almost exactly a year later in March of 2019. And I was told I had multiple myeloma, which is a rare blood cancer that at this time is considered treatable, but not curable. I was very fortunate to have a great hematologist and then to be sent to Northside Hospital in Atlanta and had a great team there at the bone and marrow transplant program. Uh, and I had uh, nine months of treatment, successful autologous stem cell transplant. And long story short, I've never looked back. I have been, this is my second year of remission. And I can honestly say at 69 years young, I feel better than it, both spiritually and physically than at any time since I stopped playing hockey when I was 28 years old. Just non sequitur sort of, I love hockey, but that's another <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, so tell us about getting that multiple myeloma diagnosis after being cancer-free from prostate cancer for a year. I mean, what was that like? Was your wife, Susan, still with you? It, it, was, it was, again, very daunting. Um, we, we were very fortunate to have a dear friend with us who was also the assistant director of oncology over the uh, Northeast Georgia Medical Center, Angie Caton. And um, I'm so glad that she was with us because, you know, as soon as the doctor said cancer, multiple myeloma, I went into like a f complete fog of denial. And she was able to translate the doctor's um, medical terminology into layman's terms for us. And she assured us that the, the treatment the doctor outlined, which is called RVD, Revlimed, um, Velcade, which is the chemotherapy treatment and dexamethasone was the right course of action. And as it turned out, she was exactly right. She's on the money 100%. Like I say, I, I feel tremendous. I'm very fortunate to have had the best of the best in medical care be feeling as great as I am now. I, I had originally promised Susan before this cancer came about that we, would we met later in life. And this is second marriage for both of us. And I would promised her that we would live 27 more years so that we could dance um, at our 50th wedding anniversary at the ripe old age of 95. And her response is always, do you think we'll be able to dance? I said, oh, I don't really care about the dancing part. I just want to hold your hands and oh, be together. That's so, so romantic. I love it. Well, I have to be honest with you, Andrea. At first, I was saying it. But I wasn't sure that I was believing it, but now I do, definitely. Um, I, I've talked to people who have lived with myeloma for 31 years and 29 years. And but my partner and I met later in life, too. I, I don't think we're going to make it to the 50-year mark, but <laughs> we would be very pleased yeah. to, with 40. I know we both would. Um, let me ask you, nine months of treatment, so... Was that chemo? Did the surgery come later? Can you kind of walk us through that? Because we haven't had too many people talk yeah, about multiple myeloma uh, yet. Yeah, we started with the RVD, going to the diagnostic clinic, which is fortunately four miles down the street, um, every couple of weeks for the chemo. Revlimed was something daily. It's a pill. 
dexamethasone is also a pill of once daily. Um, and then after about two months, uh, she decided and, uh, that I was a good candidate for further treatment and the stem cell transplant. So we went into Northside and met with the doctor there to make sure that, in, in fact, I was a good candidate for further treatment and the stem cell transplant. And I was, and we went through the process. Um, we, we had a couple of, actually three bumps in the road, if you will. Uh, the first one was um, one morning shortly after I had chemo, my chemo treatment, I got up too fast, which is something Susan and every doctor and nurse told me not to. They said, while you're undergoing this treatment, especially the chemo, you need to get you up mean slowly. Just from lying from lying down, sit for a minute, and then stand carefully. I didn't do that. And I got up and I went from the back bedroom to the laundry room and I feel felt my legs getting very rubbery. Um, so I grabbed the, the edge of the uh, washing machine and I yelled for Susan. Um, it didn't take, I went down in a heap and I went down so hard that I put my left elbow through the wall. Oh my Fortunately, I didn't hit my, hit my head and Susan didn't know quite what to do because she couldn't get me up because I'm, you know, even though I've lost all the weight, I'm still a pretty big guy. And she called a friend of ours and she told me later she did not call 911 because she knew that I would have uh, balked at that. And I said, no, I'm fine. But our friend Howie Mueller came over and he's a retired police officer, big, strong guy. And he lifted me up into a chair and they both said, we need, we still need to call 911. I said, no, I'm fine. Just let me shake the cobwebs out of my head. And they said, you're pale. You're breathing heavily. We're going to call 911. So they did. And actually, um, you know, I don't recommend hospital rides to anyone, but we had a lot of fun. We were talking Boston sports and they would give me a hard time because I'm from Boston and um, they're, of course, from Atlanta and they're all, you know, Falcons and Braves fan and what have you. So we, we had an interesting chat about sports. Um, they took me in, went to the hospital. They checked me all out, you know, pumped me full of uh, IV of fluids. And, and the only thing they didn't check was my left elbow, which is what hit the wall and went right through it. Um, sent me sent me home, and I was fine after that. And then the, the second issue was the night after my stem cell transplant in the hospital. The stem cell transplant itself was, was perfectly fine, no problem at all. Um, I had a nurse who was treating me, but she pumped me full of Ativan, and I had a real problem with that. And I was speaking in gibberish. I couldn't speak complete sentences. And Susan was starting to panic. And I was kind of in a fog. And I wasn't sure exactly what was going on because I had all these meds in my system. But Susan was furious to the point where they had to take her out of the room. But she was ready to call an attorney. You know, one of the, one of the ambulance chases we saw on TV every night. They calmed her down. And uh, they said to me, it's the medication it will wear off once you've had a good night's sleep. And fortunately it did. Um, and then it was fine for another three months or so. And then my family was coming down, uh, our son, 
daughter-in-law grandson were coming down to visit. And unfortunately, I've had gout in the past. And I had a very severe gout attack. And I hadn't had one in years. And I haven't had one in two plus years since that. Um, To the point where I ended up back in the hospital again. And I had to stay one night while they treated the gout while my family was staying here with Susan. And that was kind of a a real bummer. Got back to the house just in time. My son picked me up, got back to the house just in time to wave goodbye. And that was, they were on their way to the airport and that was it. But uh, I get another chance. We're going up there on July 7th for my son's 41st birthday. And we are meeting our new grandson, Bo, for the very first time because of the Oh, pandemic. I just got chills. How old is he? Yeah. He, he will be one on Sunday. On, he'll, he's born on Father's Day, so that's an easy day to remember. Um, and we are, we are so excited. But my doctor said it wouldn't be safe for me to travel until I've had my vaccines. And now that I've had all 17 vaccines, I'm ready to go. Okay, wait. So I have so many questions, but let's start with, what do you mean by 17 vaccines? (laughs) When you have multiple myeloma, your immune system is compromised. It's like the immune system of a newborn baby. You essentially have no immune system. So I had to have all my vaccine shots, two shingles, two hep A, two hep B, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, my two COVID shots. So you had your vaccines childhood vaccines had to be done again. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I've had, you know, everything, shingles, flu, COVID, hep A, hep B, the whole nine yards. And uh, very fortunately, my system uh, tolerates vaccines very, very well. And I had no problems whatsoever. So I've had all 17 of my vaccines and I'm ready to travel. As our son, Keith says, it's time for vaccines and vacation. I resonate with your story on so many levels. My, um, you may or may not know, but since most people know, I won't go into it, but I raised my sister. I was her guardian and parent. And that's how I became really passionate about this because she died from stage four liver cancer at the age of 15. Oh no. I'm so Yeah. And, and that's why I'm just, I'm so passionate, but, um, had a similar situation. My sister had very bad reactions to Benadryl. And after the first time mm-hmm. it happened while she was in the hospital, the nurse didn't put it in her chart. And then another nurse, I step out of the room to go to the bathroom <laughs> and another nurse gives her Benadryl and I come back in and it, it actually had made her have a lot of anxiety instead of what it does for most people, which is mm-hmm. makes them sleepy. So I, I definitely relate on that level. Um, and I really want to have a better understanding of what does a stem cell transplant entail? because you don't hear about that as often as a bone marrow transplant. Right. So tell us a little bit more about that actual process. Basically, as I understand it, again, in layman's terms, because I'm not a medical professional, they, they simply take your blood and clean it up more or less and give it back to you. And, and you know, I'd have to look it up, and I haven't done that recently. In layman's terms, as I understand it, they, they filter out your blood, clean it up, uh, I think they take out the white blood cells and then they give in an in, in autologous stem cell transplant. You'll get your own blood nice. back. If you, uh, we have a friend who has leukemia and he got, he had was diagnosed with leukemia right before I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. 
he got someone else's blood. Interesting. So I got my own blood back and it was fine. And, and just, and, and as an aside, Ativan, Benadryl and Tylenol. And, and you know, the, the, the doctor assured Susan and I that the next morning when the meds wore off and I had a good night's sleep, I'd be back to normal. And I was. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I, so, I don't think a lot of people find out that they have allergies or just bad reactions to medication until something really serious happens right. and then they're throwing everything exactly. in your system. Um, and the other way I can relate was uh, I used to faint a lot. And I think it goes back oh, to wow. my thyroid disease, which which has long since pretty much been healed and everything. And I, when I fainted, it was it was like, it was a spectacle. It was <laughs> I always landed on my head. Wow. Um, but I was at Ross shopping. Um, had my sister with me. She was probably eleven or twelve at that point, so I'm in my twenties, and. I knew at that point when I was going to faint, like I knew the feeling, I knew what it was like. And I was, we were checking out at Ross and I had my checkbook out for some reason. Oh, I remember right. that. And I felt it come on. And I said, said to my sister, I said, honey, I'm going to faint. Just don't worry. I'll be fine. And I got to my knees. So I didn't hit my head. And so that was good. Wow. But I come to immediately, almost immediately. And they're bringing me water and they want to call 911. And I said, please don't call 911. I don't have health insurance. You know, I had health insurance for my sister, but I didn't have health insurance for myself. And I said, I don't have health insurance. Wow. I am fine. I just need to sit for five minutes. It happens occasionally. Keep bringing me water, but I am fine. I will even sign off on that. You are not liable as a, as a store, as a corporation, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They didn't listen. They called 911. I refuse to even speak to the medics because I said, if I talk to you and I said, you're going to bill me. And I said, and if you bill me, I'm going to send the bill to Ross because <laughs> I don't need 911. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just had this time in my life where um, I would faint wow. on a regular basis. And, and it, it was, you know, it was really scary, especially for my sister sure. in the store, yeah. but it, it was always, it was always a spectacle. <laughs> Now, the only time I've fainted recently was probably like overdoing exercise. So I don't exercise in the mm -hmm. heat. I don't do hot yoga. You have such an amazing attitude, Keith. What was this like in your mind, from your point of view? What was this like for your wife and your son? Well, it was, it was very, very daunting. Uh, Susan became my sole caregiver because the rest of my family lives all over the country. And she had to do it all by herself. And she did a phenomenal job. Um, she was brave and patient. She did things that are not in the caregiver's handbook. And I won't go into detail, but it was tough. But we emerged much stronger. Uh, our love was deeper uh, and continues to be so to this day. Uh, we are looking forward to both being healthy and traveling and and we have a new four-footed uh daughter um zoe who is the light of our life and, and she was susan was just incredible um and she actually wrote a piece called giving care that is in as an addendum in my newest book on the road to remission uh, and that you know uh, i was talking to someone who said they started to read that and they started to cry mm -hmm. 
because it's it's so personal and so well written. She emerged much stronger, um, better. My son and my sister live back in the Boston area, and they were either calling or texting every day. Um, my sister was saying, do I need to get on a plane and come down? And I said, no, I'm making great progress. Um, we'll see you next time we come up, and we're going to see them when we go up in July. Uh, it, it was it was uh, difficult for all parties. Uh, and I know um, I, I tried to keep, keep my chin up and try to sound a, as positive as possible. You know, I've, I've emerged much... Uh, you know, much better, much stronger, hopefully a better human being. <laughs> what was your worst moment in all of it? Well, the, the, um, the, the Ativan fiasco mm. with uh, the, the speaking. Speaking has always been kind of second nature to me. Like I said, you know, after 40 years in sales and sales management, um, I've spoken all my life on a regular basis. Um, and it just kind of, took it for granted right. that, that I could speak smoothly, regularly, enunciate my words. And, you know, to even think for a second that I was not going to be able to speak clearly any longer was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But I had such good medical care. I took it on faith that what this doctor, I mean, when it first happened, doctors and nurses poured into the room and they thought I had a stroke at first. Then they realized what had happened. Susan tried to explain it to them. She tried to get the nurse to not give me so much Ativan, and the nurse kind of plowed through and, and did it anyway. Um, so th that was definitely the, the worst moment, no question about it. What was your best moment? Right now, talking to you. <laughs> uh, just, being, just being so healthy, uh, as I said, mentally and physically, um, back in the gym every morning at five o'clock. Wow! Uh, being being able to fully function um, and perform my husbandly, fatherly, grandfatherly <laughs> duties, you know, uh, and just feeling feeling so good. I mean, you know, I look at my driver's license; it says I'm 69 years young, and I don't feel it. I feel about 29. Well, so. since you have survived two different kinds of cancer, and you are yes. 69 the gym every day. I think people would really love to know what kind of workout do you do? I do 35 minutes of cardio on an, a, a double pedal bike. It has handles for your arms and shoulders. And then of course, feet, feet pedals. And then I do 25 minutes of weights. And I do, I don't do the power lifting I used to do when I was in high school and college playing football and hockey. I do light weights, lots of repetitions. And I also walk a lot during the day with, with Zoe taking her to the dog park and, you know, everything. So I get plenty of exercise and, you know, I take my vitamins and, you know, I make sure I make my monthly checkups and, you know, I, I take the prescribed doses of every, you know, the medication. I'm only taking one medication before it was taken 15. Wow. Wow. I, I can relate to that too, keeping track of it for my sister. What is the one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? And you choose which cancer, it doesn't matter to me. I wish I pressed my primary care physician 
sooner. Mm-hmm. A couple of years in a row, he said, your prostate is large. And I should have pressed him and said, do I need to see a urologist? And I should have done that. Would that have accelerated the process? Would I not been diagnosed with prostate cancer and then multiple myeloma? We'll never know. Right. But if I had to go back in time, yes, I would have done that. I think that's a great message for people to hear yeah. because you, you do really have to advocate for yourself. You have to, definitely. If you could only do one thing, you could only get one, to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would make sure everyone has access to the Medicare, the, the, the medical coverage that they need. Um, I think the recently uh, the, the passing of Obamacare or the continuation of Obamacare is a big step. But, uh, you know, I've heard stories in some of my support groups, um, a gentleman who had cancer and he had a friend who also had cancer and did not seek treatment because he couldn't afford it. So everyone needs to have access to affordable health care in some way, shape, or form, whether it be the Affordable Care Act or Medicare or, or private or whatever. Um, no one should be sick or, or worse, lose their life because they don't have adequate medical coverage. You know, we're the richest country in the world. We have to be able to do that. You know, we're the richest nation in the world. Everyone needs access to affordable health care. Um, I've heard that answer a few times now, and it's, um, I don't know what's going to happen. And this is not a political podcast or a political workshop right. by any means, but I, I don't know that there will ever be majority um, and all three branches of our government to get on board with that. I mean, just yeah, the passage of Obamacare was enormous, was huge. Mm. I buy my health care directly and from the government. Right. And one of the things that drives me nuts is I have dental insurance for a minor child that I don't have. Wow. <laughs> but I can't get dental insurance for myself. There, There's a lot to be improved upon <laughs> for sure. sure. Oh, definitely. No question. <laughs> And I'm working towards that. I'm working Tell with us. the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society as an advocate to, you know, present to our local legislators here in Georgia um, things that need to get done so that people do have the health care that they need. Everyone. Oh, wow. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Are you ready to have some fun with the Thriver Rapid Fire questions? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Okay. I, I wrote down my answers. <laughs> Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beach Boys. Oh, so far we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> what is one word that best describes you? Relentless. Oh, God, great word, great word. <laughs> Before you die, what's the last song you want to hear? My Way by Frank Sinatra. Yeah, <laughs> good song. Last meal you want to eat? My lovely wife Susan's homemade pizza. Oh, God, that sounds so good. Yeah. The last person or people you want to see? My wife, of course. And the last words you will speak? I want to tell her how much I love her. Oh, 
Oh, that's so beautiful, Keith. Oh. And aside from Cancer U, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also be sure to tell us about your books. American Cancer Society, definitely. Uh, they've been very, very good to us. And I'm helping them out any, any chance I get. But I would recommend the American Cancer Society to anyone and everyone. And what about the books you've written? Tell us a little bit more about those. I've written four books and three anthologies. Wow. Uh, my first book is called Confessions of a Beantown Sports Junkie. It's a, <laughs> a fun, lighthearted trip down memory lane. My experience as a player, coach, and avid fan of all Boston sports. Its sequel is called Fathers and Sons Sports and Life, which is more family-oriented, talks about my uncommon love and bond with my late father, Gordon. My third oh. book is called Overcoming the Odds, and it's my story of triumphs over cancer, life-threatening brain surgery, and morbid obesity. My fourth book is called On the Road to Remission, and it is a, a, about my year and a half battle with multiple myeloma. Those so where are the links to all those? Found on Amazon. Just type in, okay. go to the search window and type in Keith Guernsey, and they can also find me reach me by email and I'll say it and spell it for you since I, I guess I still have a little bit of Boston accent. It's the Gerns 2005 at yahoo.com. That's T Tom H Henry E Edward G George U unicorn R Robert and Nancy S sugar 2005 at yahoo.com. They can also find me on Facebook. They can find me on Twitter at the Gerns. Okay. So we are going to put links to all of that. Keith, thank you so thank much you. for coming on and sharing your story today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.